Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field Report. This is one of those podcasts you better refill your coffee and sit a spell. The past two weeks have been a doozy. You name it, we've seen it. Spent a chunk of time last two weeks visiting fields, evaluating freeze damage in both crops, corn and beans, accessing corn stands, especially the stuff planted in early April and that April 20th to 22nd time frame. And it seems like every year there's a time slot where you can look back and say, we shouldn't have planted corn on those days. I'm having trouble here in central Illinois finding a window where we should have planted corn this year. I saw some things last week that I've never experienced before when it comes to seed resilience. On May 22nd, we were in a field of corn planted April 10th. The corn was only two collars. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty sad. 42 days after planting, the corn is only two collars. We had two collar corn, and right next to it, we had spikes emerging. That's right. Corn in the ground, 42 days, and finally emerging. That is something, until I saw it with my own eyes, I would just not believe be possible. Now, unfortunately, being two to three collars behind will not put on a harvestable ear, so it's a weed. The corn planted April 7th through April 12th looks the best from the road, mainly due to its size, but close up, some of it, will have challenges holding a high enough ear count. In some cases, we're getting 28 to 30,000 stand, counting those spikes, with only 18 to 20,000 projected ear count. You know, as we talked about last week, plants that are collar behind is only a half an ear when you're doing your ear counts, and if they're more than a collar behind, they're zeros when it comes to ear count. With stronger stands and poor ear counts, the plant's ability to flex out is hampered. Having 20,000 picket-dropped ears still has the capacity to produce 8 to 12 bushel per ear, depending on genetics. We have proved this to you many times over the past few years in our fixed flex plots. But as stand counts go up, bushels per ear go down. Meaning a stand count of 21,000 with 20,000 ears is a much better deal than 30,000 plants with 20,000 ears. I need to make this clear. I've had more than one grower the past two weeks making decisions on replant based on our hybrid yearbook results, which is great. That's what it should be used for. But when you see numbers in the book going well over 200 bushel at 22,000 stand, remember they were uniform, photocopied plants, picket fence dropped. It is important to count collars when you're evaluating stands. Now we often say we like to see corn emerge in 24 to 48 hour window of each other. But it's really GDUs that we're talking about. 
This year, you could have corn emerge on Monday and the plant next to it emerge on Friday, and they still could be within one collar of each other. While the calendar says that's five days, in the corn's world this year with these temperatures, it may have only been like 15 hours. If they are both two-collar plants, even though emerging a week apart, they're both probably going to put on a respectable ear and should be counted in the ear count. But the same goes the other way. When plants emerge together, but for some reason one falls behind more than a collar, it's not going to produce an ear, even though they emerged on the same day. The important thing when you're evaluating stands is try to figure out what caused the plants to get behind. Many of the early April stands we looked at, plants that were too far behind to be added to the ear count, were planted spiked down. Normally spiked down plants will emerge in 24 to 48 hours behind spike up plants, but because they're the same age, they typically end up the same collar stage. In cold conditions, like this year, it took 10 days to 2 weeks longer for the mesocotyl to circle the seed and get to the surface compared to spike up plants. If a spike up plant breaks the surface and starts the photosynthesis process, it will grow more per GDU received than that plant burning seed starch below the ground. Whenever we see spike down plants not producing ears in the fall, we know soil conditions at planting time were cold. We don't run the risk so much of losing our spike down plants, we run the risk of losing the ears on our spike down plants. With some loss of plants due to freeze and poor ear counts, we did tear up some of the early April planted fields and started over but most are too good to replant now that we're pushing June. But I want everyone to have a clear and correct expectation of what their stands are capable of. Use our replant sheet or download the calculator from our website and use it when you're evaluating these stands. Sure, the worksheet will tell you it doesn't or won't pay to replant but it will also give you a pretty good prediction of what to expect for yield when you calculate your bushels per ear. When I hear comments like, last year my June 5th corn went 230 bushel. I expect this April corn to do at least 250. Boys, you can't get there with an ear count of 18 to 20,000 amongst 28 to 30,000 plants. This would put you at about five, between five and nine bushel per ear, which is, in best case, you're probably looking at 180 bushel. I would rather you set your expectations on 180 bushel and be happy with 180 to 190 than to set them at 250 and get blindsided at 180 this fall. Good stand evaluations help keep everyone on the right page from landlords to farm managers. Good stand evaluations involve 
doing good stand and ear counts. Good counts cannot be done from the road. Remember, these fields look good from the road. So your farm manager and your landowners see a good looking field. You have to do the job and make sure you inform them of what that actual ear count is going to be. So we don't have big surprises when it comes this fall. On the freeze front that happened May 9th and the frost that happened again on May 10th, uh, very little corn was severely damaged. Most of it will make a strong recovery. The soybeans got beat around a little harder. The fields we checked lost from 10% to 50% of their stand reduction. Bigger beans seemed to have more damage. The hardest hit area was northern McLean County and parts of Livingston. Those outer four rows next to the tall grass got uh, taken out as well as low-lying areas in the field. In some fields, just a one-foot drop in elevation uh, would take out the whole stand. I tried to keep a running tally of uh, replant frozen beans as far as how many we had to replant. It was just a shade under 25% of the fields that I looked at where we kind of had to sign a death warrant and, and, and tear them out. Uh, situation where they beat up that bad but this is a lot lower than i expected the actually the as the night of the freeze came and most of these fields were in that area where they had 26 degrees for five hours it is pretty amazing what these beans went through and bounced back it took twice as long compared to what i expected for these plants to regenerate or to start to bounce back to give us true uh, clues of whether or not there were uh, going to recover but again that was due to the low amount of GDUs one field I visit, visited was planted April 7th it was at the first trifoliate when the freeze hit the freeze took it all the way back down to the cotyledons it was recovering pretty nicely with new growth but we also had some new beans emerging and this was on May 23rd yeah Beans emerging 46 days after planting. That is something, again, I don't think I've ever seen before. I believe the fact that we're seeing corn and soybeans still emerging 45 plus days after planting is probably a testament to today's seed treatments. Frosted beans, like all beans, they're popping back now with these warm temperatures. The frozen beans will look a little different because they'll have two forked stems instead of one main stem. We're rebuilding from the cotyledons. In our stress plots, forked stemmed plants tend to put on more pods than a plant with one main stem. We haven't figured out how to make the plant do this on demand, but don't worry about your funny looking plants, they'll be okay. The bean leaf beetle were active last week and they're going to get heavier next week. Keep an eye on emerging beans out there, scouts. Make sure they're not feeding on the hypocotyls or the beans won't emerge. And watch for the feeding on the cotyledons. We have to get aggressive. We can have quite a bit of feeding on the, on the unifoliate and the first trifoliate, but those early beans, let's keep an eye on them. Let's put an extra watch on those frozen beans as they're recovering. They don't need any more pressure from the bean leaf beetle if that's the case. As more beans get up, they'll start to... Um, disperse themselves out a little bit easier too. 
Along with looking at the April, early April corn and the freeze damage, we visited a number of fields that were planted in that April 20th through 22nd time frame. These fields got the opportunity to receive 3 to 7 inches of rain before emergence. Can you say crust? Many of you were quick to break out the hose. Some guys use their planters and or harrows to break this corn out. Man, was this a money maker. I'm not sure I've seen a year when hoes not only salvaged the stand, but kept it on target like they did this year. Fields that didn't dry out or for some other reason uh, weren't hoed did struggle. Some of these had to be patched in or tore out um, and started over. Good news is plants that are crusted under don't emerge and they're not going to be competition like a lady merger. Scouts need to do a good stand evaluation on these fields as well, so we don't have any surprises. On May 22nd, we saw the first cutoff of corn plants in, uh, from cutworm here in Dewitt County. This will ramp up throughout the next three weeks based on flights, so scouts stay on top of this, especially in those fields where, that are already ear count challenged. We can't give up anymore. We are, for some reason, seeing an increase in wireworm damage in a number of fields. These worms seem to be all the same size in that medium-small range. Remember, wireworm takes six years to develop into a beetle, which, makes, which means these guys are going to be around for a while. So, scouts, when you find a heavy in pressure or infestation of these wireworms, make sure you tag it on your maps. And if you need to replant, add an insecticide in furrow or go to the high end of the seed treatment. Remember wireworm, they typically punch a hole through the center of the seed and that may take it out and they circle back through and go through the heart or the crown of the corn. So you'll see a plant that's up and the center of that plant dies. That's going to be your key. You probably deal with wireworm. I'm not sure what's causing these heavier counts and numbers coming in, but we are seeing them and they're easy to find and it's been that way from northern Livingston County to clear to Sullivan. So uh, something happened a year or year and a half, two years ago that would put these pressures up, but I'm not sure what it is, and we'll continue to keep you abreast of that. Working through the first round of nitrate samples as the guys are getting ready to start side dressing, good news is we can account for most of the nitrogen. Bad news, a lot of it is in the second foot. If it'll slow down on the rain and this corn can take off, we can still catch it. With the warmer temperatures this past week, that's making things pop, brings the carbon penalty or the onset of the ugly corn stage. The carbon penalty starts kicking in when soil temperatures climb and stay above 65 degrees. Last Wednesday, we could see it coming first in sulfur deficiencies and now moving into nitrogen deficiencies. This will be evident in almost all fields, especially how fast the soil temperatures took off. Every 10 degrees above 65, the soil biology or the population out there doubles. It is this population that is consuming soil phosphate, sulfur, and nitrogen. You will see some yellowing in corn on bean ground as well as bean fields themselves.
The beans don't produce their own nitrogen until they're in that V3, V4 range. So until they get there, they're going to show a slight yellowing and slowing of growth due to this carbon penalty. Corn on cornfields will get rough looking because the plants are too small, the roots are too shallow, and a big chunk of our nitrogen is in the second foot. All the sins of spring will pop out in these fields, like your wheel tracks and compaction. Don't worry about the beans. They'll come out of it with little effect on yield. The quicker the corn pops out of it, the better we are. Any planter fertility will be a big help to push the corn through this and give it a chance to catch up to that nitrogen at the second foot. And realizing again, we got small corn and we got nitrogen that moved on us. Side dressing three collar yellow corn in the middle of the row will not pop this corn back green. The root system and the nitrogen will have to get together before that happens. Y dropping V3 corn is about a four mile per hour gig. So you don't burn the corn with the nitrogen splashing on it. So what I'm saying, there's no quick fix to this. Take a different way to town until it gets through it and it won't bother you as much. Will it affect yield? Unfortunately, yes. Especially if you planted a G hybrid and it stays yellow more than five days. Zach says with podcast, less is more. And this one is running on and I haven't even covered the elephant in the room. That is the disaster we have with the corn planted May 10th through the 14th. This planting window ended up being what we'd call the perfect storm. Combination of cold soils followed by heavy rains followed by high temperatures. Growers are confused why April corn had water on it for 10 days and survived it. And this event, it was a total wipeout. I'm going to make a video and have Zach put it up on our website where I'm going to take a deep dive into this perfect storm so everyone understands what happened. So check that out. Sorry for the long podcast. Sometimes that's just the way it's got to be. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe. Keep her moving.